Okay, excellent news. We have better quality audio. I actually have a pretty good podcasting mic, the Blue Yeti, really classic one, that I travel around with, and this thing is not light because I have the full-size one, but during the last episode, I was completely orienting it wrong to my body and had the settings a little bit off, so now I just did an audio test and I know it's much better, so good for you, good for me. In this episode, I want to talk about the topic of subconscious reprogramming because to me, this is a huge overarching umbrella in the personal development space, and all self, self-development, self-actualization, self-awareness comes underneath this kind of in a way. So when we hear the things shadow work, inner child work, attachment style, all of that is actually looking at a lot of what's going on subconsciously for us. So you've probably seen that image of the iceberg and it's usually used to depict that we just see the tip of something and there's way more going on underneath and people use this image for lots of different things but we can also look at it as the conscious and the subconscious mind so if the tip of the iceberg is the conscious mind that is basically the five percent of our brain that we are in more i guess direct contact with but it dictates our thoughts and our behaviors the other 95 percent is what is sending up the beliefs and the stories that dictate our thoughts and behaviors. So based on the way I see the world, I'm going to see a coffee mug maybe totally different than you're going to see the same coffee mug because that coffee mug to me might remind me of my grandparents' little cottage at the lake that I went to when I was younger and it might be a really happy memory. And for you, that coffee mug might look like the same ones that were used at a restaurant that you worked at when you were young that you completely hated and ended up leaving on a bad note. So we can see that in every moment, the way that we are interpreting the world is completely dependent on our own experiences and beliefs and stories. And all of that is stored in our subconscious, including breathing and how to walk. Because if we had to relearn every day how to breathe or walk or anything, do simple math, it would take way, way too much energy. So it's this brilliant mechanism that our mind has in order to store information in the fastest way that it can in order to try and be efficient and save us time. A lot of our subconscious beliefs and stories about who we are, who we should be, and what the world is were formed when we were so young. And as you can imagine, children are very, very impressionable. And we're basically born as a blank slate. And as we observe and witness what's going on around us, we start to learn how things work. And as we learn that, our brain quickly develops these neural pathways that help us to not have to learn that over and over and over. And so it's these neural pathways that form our beliefs and our stories. And in the way that I describe it, sometimes these neural pathways make up belief systems and a belief system might be a personality. So if I form the personality of being a helper, that is just a series of belief beliefs that I have decided are reality. So maybe in that I have decided that I have to help people and be overgiving and say yes when I mean no, because that's what I learned was going to get me love. And that's a point that I want to dive into a little deeper, this get me love, because children and babies only want love and to have their needs met. So when we are children, the only way we can communicate is obviously crying or 
mm, using our expression in different ways and our body language in different ways and we don't have any verbal language and as we do that we are hoping <laughs> that the caretaker around us the people around us our parents our siblings or whoever else is in the picture is going to understand what we need and give it to us but when they don't understand what we need then we have to get even more creative so how can I get this in a different way and as we grow up we start to become manipulative in how we get these needs met if they're not getting met with direct presence and attunement, I guess. Attunement meaning that the caregiver correctly gives us what we want. I feel like I'm already dropping into so many different directions here because this really is a huge topic, but let's stay on the course of beliefs of systems and the development of a personality. So like I said, if the personality is helper, then maybe that child or that version of us when we were little was praised for being very helpful or praised for being a way that was pleasing other people. And so because we're getting that praise and that recognition and that validation, of course, we're going to keep being that way, even if it doesn't feel genuine or authentic to who we really are. Another example would be the high achiever archetype or the high achiever personality. That child was maybe compared to other children, um, praised for winning or getting really good grades, labeled as gifted, and this because it is kind of, it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So now this child has learned that in order to get love and validation, which is what we all want, we have to perform a certain way and hold ourselves a certain way and maybe create a sense that we are really in control. Maybe that also came with not being able to show big emotions because it was perceived as being out of control and it was not allowed in the environment that you grew up in. So as you can imagine, these influences are happening to us basically instantaneously from when we were born. And the influences, being our caregivers and the people around us, were also influenced in their own way by their childhood development and their life experiences. Basically, from the moment we were born, we were starting to be conditioned to be a certain way. And sometimes the way that we were trained is much different than who we actually want to be. And I think that's why people tend to find this self-development area because they're feeling this sense of disconnection from themselves and they can't quite put a finger on it. I hear a lot of, I don't know what I want to do. I feel very stuck. I feel like I can't make my own decisions. And that's usually because we have been outsourcing who we are to our environment and our society and our culture for a very, very long time. And it can be really confronting when we start to see all of the ways that we have essentially self-abandoned from who we are and what we really want. And I was talking to a client yesterday, and she definitely falls and associates with being a helper. So, ha like, really taking care of people around her, even when she knows they're not going to thank her, but finding herself doing it anyway in hopes of getting this recognition that she actually knows she's not going to get. Um, of being someone who says yes when she means no, of feeling like she needs to kind of save and take care of other people and she really felt like she didn't know how she wanted to be or how she would even spend her time if that wasn't her reality. And so what we were able to do in the session is actually identify the two conflicting parts within herself. So the part that feels like she should show up in a certain way has a lot of rules and a lot of shoulds. I should be more productive. I should be doing more. I should be achieving more. I should have a grander purpose in life. I should do more around the house. I should have more projects. Should all of this like shouldn't, this huge rule list. This other part of her just wants to tell that part to shut up. <laughs> this other part of her is very tired and just wants to be able to nap without feeling the guilt. And 
wants to be able to give up the part that is always doing more and being more. And so when we were able to connect with both of those parts, we could see how one was formed and one, in her own words, felt way more natural. It felt easeful. It felt spacious to consider allowing that part of her that just wants to take things at a different pace, that doesn't always want to be number one or have to stand out so much. She really recognized how this part, this other part of her really desired to stand out, to be noticed, to be validated in how special and capable she was because she was told that she wasn't capable. And it doesn't always matter how we get to our own development of personality but it can be helpful for you. Um, what I want to say is it can be helpful for you to understand your own reason for developing the way that we, you did, but we can have the same result from different conditioning. So we can have a different childhood experience that can birth similar personality types. So back to the point, entering the session, she really felt like she couldn't make her own decisions and she didn't even know what she would do if she wasn't that. But when we spent time going into her subconscious and meeting this part of her that ha was having this experience, she was able to actually quite easily and quite quickly recognize what she would do if the should list wasn't there. She would take a 15 minute nap without feeling guilty about it. She mentioned some hobbies she would pick up. She mentioned a language that she actually wanted to learn, but she couldn't admit this to herself and definitely wasn't making time for it because this other part was so strongly influencing her. Yet she could still feel this. there was a huge disconnect between who she really is, what she really wanted, what felt natural, and this conditioned part, which was operating subconsciously, but also constantly. And that's the thing about the subconscious, it is all operating behind the scenes, and it can really be dictating how we operate all of the time. And so Carl Jung has a famous quote that I talk a lot about, and he says, until we make the unconscious conscious, it will dictate our life, and we will call it fate. So working with the subconscious really is so much of what personal development work actually is, and that's why understanding this is the top of the umbrella. So what else falls underneath this umbrella of subconscious? As I mentioned in the beginning, we can talk about inner child work, which is basically what we just covered. So inner child is connecting to that part of ourself that has these beliefs that were formed when we were really young that are out of alignment with who we are. And there's a lot of opportunity for healing work to happen there. And if inner child doesn't resonate with you, maybe one, because you haven't had the experience or two, because it's just hard to grasp, you can think about how these neural pathways, when they were formed, when we were zero years old or one or two or whatever it was 3 14 7 21 they have they basically exist at that level of understanding of the world and maturity so we kind of have to treat these beliefs within us as a four-year-old can comprehend them which as you can imagine is actually really low comprehension and so these beliefs can really act up and play out within us and sometimes we even notice it's happening and we have a hard time justifying ourselves why we're behaving that way so I often hear clients say I don't even know why I did that and it's because there's this very strongly um, what I want to say rooted but I'm, I'm almost thinking of a road or a path that's been worn many times this path that we've tread over and over and over that we're of course going to fall back into and tread again. And as we're rewiring this stuff, it's like now we are just walking on fluffy sand and we walk at one time and we maybe practice this new belief, but in the next moment, a breath of wind comes through and blows the path away. And so we have to walk it over and over and over in order to solidify it, trample it down and even push it almost, you can imagine, into our subconscious so that it starts to happen on its own. Another thing that is largely living and playing out from our subconscious is our attachment and the way that we relate 
relate to others, as in relationships to friends, to coworkers, to employers, and obviously in romantic relationships. All of that information and all the way that we believe we should operate and we, the way we believe relationship works was also, as you can imagine, formed from a really young age. So the first question we can ask ourselves is like, what did my parents' dynamic teach me about love? Did I see that there was a lot of really loving, touching, feel, physical affection and were they very sweet to each other? Um, were my parents or your caregivers very patient and affectionate or was there a lot of yelling and did you learn that yelling was okay and and common in relationship we can also ask ourselves what did we learn about women from who and how our mom was we can ask ourselves what have i learned about men from who and how our fathers were and these questions are just the beginning of a really powerful uncovering of how we see the world and also the way that we've learned what love is and what love feels like is largely going to be based on our early childhood experiences the final thing i'll say in attachment style for this episode because there's so 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 much more to go into it that's so fascinating and so healing is that of course whatever we experienced as far as getting our emotional needs met from our early childhood caretakers is what we are probably going to expect from a relationship. So if our parent was able to meet our emotional needs pretty consistently and understand when we needed presence and when we needed patience and when we needed love and when we needed holding and when we needed safety, then that's what we will expect, but also attract in other relationships. But if what we learned from our parents was that sometimes they got it and sometimes they didn't and they were really busy and we felt like remember this is a baby, we felt like they were there and then they weren't there, then we might start to develop a little bit of confusion around how people are going to show up for us. And we might create a story or a belief system that says, okay, this adult's not taking care of me, so I guess I need to take care of myself. And this is usually what is titled basically the avoidant attachment style. And I know I'm saying this at a very high level, basic level, so if you know these definitions in detail, we'll, <laughs> we'll go into it another time. But if you don't, just imagine if a parent or a caregiver is rarely available for our needs, then we're going to start to learn that that person's not going to take care of us, so we need to take care of ourselves. If the caregiver is there sometimes, but not all the time, and it's a little inconsistent, then this is also very confusing because then we don't know if we're going to get what we want. And so this is usually what develops the anxious attachment style, which is the other side of the spectrum. And anxious attachment style is sometimes explained kind of like a lottery machine. As children, we cry and we just keep crying and crying and crying because we know sometimes we're going to get our need met and sometimes we're not. So you can imagine the crying switch as our way of playing into the lottery to see if we can get what we want. And that's what happens when the parent is sometimes there, sometimes not. But if the parent is more often not there or not available to meet our need, then we will likely develop more of this pullback, self-reserved, very independent behavior because we learned we have to take care of ourselves because other people aren't going to do it for us. So maybe in that brief explanation, you can kind of feel into yourself what tendency you might have based on what you learned. And I don't say any of this to highlight that there's a problem or that something's wrong with you because all of it can be adjusted. We just have to first be aware of what it is that's causing potentially painful dynamics in what we're experiencing and aware of what's playing out in our subconscious that is driving us to also subconsciously attract partners that will probably play out the same dynamic that we had as children. Okay, the last thing I'm going to say about the subconscious, because I need to be on a call in six minutes, is... 
to the point of shadow work. So shadow work in personal development is processes that we do to uncover and meet and heal with the parts of ourselves that we have deeply rejected. So again, based on what we were shown as we developed by society, culture, our immediate environment, and the people around us, we learned that some things were acceptable and some things were unacceptable. And this can be a massive, massive range of things. And usually, if you think about what do I judge other people for, you will figure out right away what you have learned is unacceptable. Because your judgments and my judgments might be totally different and you might judge someone 8 out of 10 for a certain thing and for me that might be a 0 out of 10 or a 2 out of 10 because it just wasn't basically drilled so hard into me that that was a problem. And so where we have learned that things weren't acceptable, we really deny the capability that we have that within ourselves. So for a big one for me was being lazy, that I lived in a household where there was a really high value on working long hours, on productivity, and it's also served my entrepreneurial father super well living by that. But it became really heavy for me to operate in that way because it was unnatural to the way that I could keep up. Maybe that was just literally as a female with hormone fluctuations or whatever it is. But anyway, my judgment was people that are lazy, really, really harshly judging it because I didn't want to admit that I had the capacity to be lazy. I didn't want to admit how tired I was, how burnt out I was, how I just wanted to lay around because heaven forbid I was ever laying around and not doing something productive. And of course, maybe hearing this, maybe you have the same judgment and you're like, yeah, I I don't let myself rest. I really judge lazy people or you don't have this judgment and so you have a lot of compassion and you're thinking, girl, just take a nap. (laughs) Girl, just lie down, it's not a big deal. But when there's a part of us subconsciously that so deeply believes this is wrong, then we will continue to hide away that part of ourselves. And so shadow work is looking at where we have hid away the parts of us, knowing or coming to the understanding that as humans, we are all such a range of expression and we can be bubbly, outgoing, and compassionate and we can also be really manipulative and we're capable of lying, we can be jealous, we can be condescending, we can be passive aggressive and when we can own like, yeah, I am capable of doing that and now that I see it and actually allow it to be okay, that possibility and that potential, now I know that I can that I can make a conscious choice about it and I'm not gonna use that tool. But sometimes when we really deny, 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 these things that feel more shadowy or dark or not allowed, they tend to creep up in other ways. Whether we just feel overwhelmed by seeing them in the world around us and seeing it in other people, and then that judgment just feels bad within our body or in our own way, where we're doing these things kind of secretly instead of um, just owning it or letting it play out or letting it be there so that we don't have to do anything (laughs) secretly. I hope that makes sense. Shadow work will have to be another deeper dive for sure. For now, I'm going to end this here. I hope you're starting to see how much is living in your subconscious and what else is my desire that you start to, yeah, just consider where the lenses that you are looking at life now have come from and where is it helping you and where is it potentially harming you. If you have any questions, I would love to use those as the door to the next or to a future episode. You can send them to me on Instagram. I'm J-O-H-H-H. A-N-N-A. And now I'm getting on a call for a facilitator training that I'm in called Alchemy, which is a deeper dive in transformational arts in order for me to add to my toolbox as a coach. So I'm looking forward to that and I'll talk to you in the next episode.